Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Good morning. We have a change in our Bible reading this morning, so if you've been prepared in uh, John, we're actually going to Luke chapter 1, and if you're looking in the service sheet and you um, are taking notes, you might just want to write down the new passage. So it's Luke chapter 1, and we're reading the first uh, four verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Thanks, Lane. So, uh, as I said before, Ross has come down with some sort of throat thing, and can't speak. So uh, he called me at l- late last night and said, can't talk, what are we going to do? So uh, what we're going to do today is, this is Ryan, I'm Ben, if Hello. you haven't met us before, and uh, we actually are a part of something that's exciting this year called Navigate Podcast. That's right. And so uh, Navigate Devotional, I don't know, maybe there is a ship, some ship podcast called Navigate Podcast, <laughs> don't get us confused with them. But uh, we thought what we'd do this morning is have kind of a, our first ever live episode yeah. of a podcast. So we don't know how this is going to go, but we invite you to join us in it. That, that's right. We normally have Sam <laughs> yeah. editing stuff. That's so right. He's somewhere. Sam's somewhere. Will, Sam, can fun. you get behind the computer to help us feel safe? <laughs> that's right. And anyway, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into this. Let's yeah. pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace that we have Uh, to open up your word and to be encouraged by it. Lord, we pray uh, that as we do this this morning, that we would be transformed and changed by your word, uh, that you would help us to see what it's saying and what it means for us, not just now, not just at Christmas time, but for the rest of our lives. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I might uh, read that passage again. It's only a short one. It's on the screen, uh, but I'm going to read it again. It says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Good. So, yeah. Ryan, as you hear that read out, yeah. what, what stands out to you first and foremost? Uh, what stands out to me is really interesting. The last verse there, this idea that it gives us certainty. Yeah. Um, Do you need water? <laughs> I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah, push through it. Push through. Yeah, this idea of certainty. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a massively comforting yet really kind of challenging um, idea. Yeah. Because I think, well, for me anyway. Yeah. Certainty is often what is very, seems very elusive. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So we'll push into that a little bit more as mm. we go on. But this is the opening of the Gospel of Luke. So we have yeah. four bo- books of the Bible that tell us the life account of Jesus. Mm. And here we get the beginning of Luke. And he's setting the context for us of what this book's going to be about. Oh, so, oh look at that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Um, the, what the book's about. So you've got, yeah. who's, give us some context. Who's Luke? Who's Theophilus? What yeah. do we know about these guys? Yeah, sure. So like you said, yeah, Luke is one of four. And, he, you know, we kind of get that there. He's, you know, other people have written stuff down about Jesus, accounts of Jesus, and I'm going to throw my hand in the ring, he says. Yeah. Um, but Luke, we know about Luke. He's a, he's a doctor. Yeah. Um, we'll think a little bit more about that in a second. But uh, Theophilus is really interesting. Theophilus... Um, there's a few ideas kicking around yeah. about who is Theophilus. Um, his name means friend of God or a lover of God. Right. And, and um, yeah, so whether he, people say whether he's a, an actual person or whether he's a representative of a group of people or lovers of God or friends of God. But, yeah, um, yeah I think regardless of that, 
yeah, Luke is writing an account for real people, yeah. um, particularly Theophilus, yeah, about what he's believed. Yeah. Um, and Theophilus, obviously, yeah, being uh, a Christian, he's heard stuff about Jesus. Yeah. So and, you um, get that, like he's, it, it almost seems like in some sense that Theophilus is, or if it's a group of people, they're funding Luke to go and speak to eyewitness accounts. Yeah, that's right. And Luke's going, all right, we're gonna, I'm going to write this, I'm going to go and chat to the eyewitnesses of all mm. of this so that you can have certainty about the things that you've heard. Yeah, that's right. It's really interesting. Like, they call him most excellent, yeah. Theophilus. Like, oh. He's obviously a legend. Yeah, like, I don't get called most excellent, Ryan. But yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. the point, like, we only hear that kind of language or that kind of title thrown around, particularly in the book of Acts, yeah. with, like, governors and yeah. really high up, um, yeah, kind of social, political figures. And so yeah. it, it kind of speaks to the idea that, you know, Theophilus, you know, is a pretty, probably a pretty well-off guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, well yeah. thought of, high position. And That's good. Yeah. Now, he's writing to bring certainty. And, and you mm. touched on this before, this idea of certainty. I mean, it's such a good idea. We live in a world that's uncertain. Elizabeth prayed before for the bushfires uh, yeah. that seem to be going on in a really crazy kind of way at the moment in our country. There's economic uncertainty. There's uncertainty. Maybe, you know, we, mm. we might have uncertainty over Christmas time, yeah. what that looks like, the food, the relationships, the mess that just exists. Is everything going to go okay? Is it all going to be okay? <laughs> yeah. And then Luke kind of just writes into it and he goes, you might be uncertain about mm. everything, but I'm going to give you certainty about something. Yeah, that's right. You, you see it there so clearly. After everything that Luke is saying, introducing himself, introducing Theophilus, it's, it's so that. Yeah. You may know. Yeah. That what you've heard about Jesus um, is is true. Yeah. Um, you can be certain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You might not it's be cool. sure about anything else, but you can be sure about this. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. solid. It's good. Jesus is solid. Now, it's not just a good news for mm. uh, the fact that we live in an uncertain world. Uh, it's also good news at Christmas time. Yeah. Because Christmas can be kind of a, a silly season, it's often called. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's hard when you think about Christmas. And like we're saying, like it's often a time of uncertainty, but... You know, sometimes it can often not be a good time. Yeah. Um, the, the messiness of life, you know, we're sinful people in relationships with sinful people and mm. sometimes that's actually not good at all. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we kind of see this story of Jesus, when, what Luke kind of really jumps into after yeah. this, talking about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Yeah. And that's good news. That brings great joy. Yeah. And, yeah. Now... You were able to come to the carols last week. Yeah, I yeah. was here. That's good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, we had this experience though at the carols. So, yeah. um, and I don't know if you felt this, but uh, in the lead up to the carols, I came to a practice that was on, on one of the Thursday nights. Mm. And uh, I was struck by kind of thinking if I had never heard a carol before in my life, yeah. how kind of strange Christmas carols are. Yeah, uh, me too. Particularly singing them with the words. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of just strikes you about how just in your face yeah. um, the carols are. It's yeah. like so richly Jesus-centered, God-centered. Yeah. It's just like, man. Now, you've got yeah. um, some of the things that, you know, we've, we've been talking about and thinking through is just even in the carols in the language, it's a bit weird. So, yeah. um, you know, this week, yesterday, actually, I Googled what hark is mm. and found out what hark means for the first time in my life. So, I've been singing hark the herald <laughs> angels sing. Yeah. Not even know. Like, that's just weird that we use language like that. Yeah. Well, um, I, Noel, do you know what that, that I, is? Look, I think it's the first Christmas. First Christmas. Actually, I Googled, I, I don't think it is. I Googled it before the service. <laughs> and yeah. it's uh, the friend, Good friends. Google. <laughs> often in the podcast, we'll be like, oh, yeah, I think it's this. And it's like, no, we've, we've Googled it. We've backed it up with something. <laughs> that's right. We're not the experts here. Uh, French. Christmas. French Christmas. Well, yeah, something yeah. like that. The well, other one that messes with me is the uh, the baby didn't cry. Yeah, because you know, if, well, we no know. No crying he makes. Yeah, Hosea does not make no cries. Your <laughs> cries. <laughs> yeah, your uh, son, for those that's of right. us who don't that's know. That's right, yeah, seven months or almost eight months. Yeah, he yeah. cries a bit, does he? Oh, yeah, he's, yeah. Good, at, he's good at that. If yeah. he's anything like his dad. If he wasn't crying, there'd be something, yeah. That's right, if... If we're not crying, there's something that's wrong. Right, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh, but like on the language thing, but like come yeah. o ye, like who is ye? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, really yeah, the, strange. The language is a bit odd, mm. but, but there's something more weird about the carols that, yeah. that if, you know, we might have heard them 
over our lives. Mm. But there is actually something weird, like stranger, more unbelievable about the carols, and it's actually just the story of what happens. Yeah. So if absolutely. you've never heard of this account before of what Jesus, of what happened with Jesus' birth, you get this teenager mm. who's a girl from, you know, Nazareth, who's yeah. you know a, a no-name place. Yeah. No-name girl. She's an angel rocks up. It's like an hey, angel. An angel. You're gonna have yeah. a baby. <laughs> the she's freaking out over it. If you know the story, uh, you get wise men following a star. Yeah which is weird as well and strange. Mm. You get shepherds celebrating a birth. Yeah. You know, like that's a little bit odd in and oh, of yeah. itself. They're having it, the baby in a stable or, or even some people think maybe a cave. Mm. And we sing about this. Yeah. Like if you think about it, like, yeah, carols are singing this story that we, like that yeah, Luke and the other gospel writers have put yeah. Yeah, before us. And yeah, it is super confronting, yeah. very, very different. It's like you're entering into a whole other world. Yeah. Um, yeah, singing this stuff like yeah. angels, glory, um, yeah, all this. You know, in a sense, what what can be seem as weird, mm. um, yeah, and odd. Yeah. Now, um, there's a reason we feel that way, especially if you've never yeah. heard the Christmas story before. It's interesting. You were talking about a book you've been reading in the last little bit of some philosopher guy. So talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah, I've been thinking. Yeah, you know, reading this book, and in there, this guy kind of just talked about how as humans, you know, our ideas shape how we, how we see the world, how we engage with the world. And, yeah. and he was tracing the story of what started with uh, this guy, a philosopher called Plato. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but the, basically he was the first guy to really give weight to the fact that there's kind of two realities. There's what we see, the physical stuff, but there's also the unseen. Yeah. And the world of kind of ideas or what we might say is spiritual or God. Yeah. And what's happened over history is that we've kind of taken those two, particularly in the West. Yeah. And we've kind of latched on to the material side of things, what we can see, what we can know, touch, feel, enjoy. Yeah. And we've kind of let go of the stuff that's unseen. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard to get at. Yeah. And it's so confronting when we come to the Christmas story and we sing carols mm. is because, no, this is a world, these are people who no, do not separate those two things. They're, yeah. they're together. It's how they, they see life and it's yeah. the world that they live in. Now, that, that I think makes sense to our experience. What you yeah. see is what you get is, is generally our vibe in our world that we live in. Mm. Um, everything is what's in front of me. Um, if it's not physical, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, that's generally our kind of idea towards that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you read the, the biblical story or sing it in carols, you're confronted mm. by the fact this isn't just a physical thing. There's something supernatural or cosmic yeah. or spiritual going on as well. Yeah. like Which is confronting. Yeah, God became yeah. a human being. Yeah. Like, what on earth? Yeah, angels, yeah. <laughs> a star that guides you somewhere. Yeah, like the miracle of Mary's birth. Like, yeah. it's a virgin birth. Like, you know, we know how, you know, babies yeah. are made. Yeah. This is not like, this doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, it's a miracle. It's miraculous. Yeah. You know, God works in a way in the world he made, mm. um, that kind of breaks all the categories. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you, what do you do with that? Yeah. Now, yeah. I love it because we often talk about the historicity of Jesus. And so, you know, and this is something we look at the, at the life course as well pretty consistently, is yeah. that the story of Jesus, we can, we can bank on it, that it's historical, there's yeah. something in history that we can, you know, the, the eyewitness accounts, the records of it, you can look at it, you can have confidence in the historical account. Mm. But we have to be aware there's actually something supernatural, spiritual as well. It's not just a physical yeah. thing. It's a spiritual thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the whole, like, um, discovery, like, oh, the, the discovery, the, the whole approach of, of science and observing the world, Yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of driven us to just take this material thing, um, the yeah. material as being the thing. Yet, like, science was actually really started by this idea of actually trying to figure out how God works in the world and... You know, when we actually see that, here is a doctor. Yeah. You know, the scientist of their day going, yeah. no, I'm actually pulling these two together. Yeah. I'm pulling together God, the, the, you know, the spiritual mm. um, and the material. Yeah. I'm actually going to 
set out for you an account, a detailed account, almost what we could say is a scientific account, observations yeah. of what really happened in real people's lives in a mm. real place, real time. Mm. And I'm going to tell you about it. Yeah. Um, and it's about what God did yeah. as he you know, came as the man Jesus. Yeah, it's yeah. so good um, to push into that as well because it's not that we're saying there's a material and there's a spiritual and we want to put those two against yeah. each other. Yeah. We want to celebrate both of those things and actually rec- recognize when we come to the Bible, we get this this mm. marrying of both of those, especially in Luke, yeah. where you get this physician, as you say, a doctor, he yeah. goes to eyewitness accounts and he wants to give this guy, Theophilus, mm. excellent Theophilus, yeah. certainty of the things that he's heard. Yeah, and I think, like, yeah, even with, like, we see that in Luke, but even the fact that God becomes human, like, we see yeah. that even God valuing the two, it's not that one's better than the other. Yeah. No, it's, they're both, yeah, um, yeah, part of who we are, yeah. part of life and relationship with God and yeah, like you said, Luke's wanting us to, to see that so yeah. that we might, yeah, have certainty, this, this assurance. Mm. Yeah. And it adds weight to the fact that Luke's this doctor. That <laughs> yeah, he's that's right. Yeah, so we, yeah, Luke, um, yeah, we find out from Paul, he travelled with the Apostle Paul and yeah. um, he wrote the second volume of Acts. Um, yeah. and in there, you know, we, we see that Luke is almost, well, he is a physician, but he's kind of like Paul's personal. Yeah, physician, which sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, certainty in an uncertain world, mm. but also certainty in the story and account of Jesus. There is yeah. miraculous stuff that happens. What That's happens right. at Christmas, what we celebrate at Christmas, what we sing about, yeah. it's not just historical in the sense of physical details that happen. There's something supernatural and spiritual about it as well. Yeah. And Luke's going, no, you can have confidence in this. Yeah. Confidence in the birth of Jesus, mm. but then as we keep reading as well, we see we can have confidence in some other crazy stuff that happened as well in the book of Luke. Yeah, that's right. So it's not just Jesus' birth, but yeah, yeah his life, yeah. And his death and his resurrection. Like yeah. Luke gets into all of that. Yeah. Um, and even in Acts chapter 1, he says, you know, it's really interesting, Luke being a doctor, he's very vague yeah. in this. Yeah. His introduction, it's these things that you've heard, this like this stuff. And so what, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in his introduction to Acts, he's very clear. Like in Luke, in my first book, he says, I, I traced out everything that Jesus began to do. Yeah. So it's not just his birth. It's his whole life yeah. and, and what Jesus began, mm. kicked off with his life mm. and his death and his resurrection. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, it, it's that we would have confidence in that. Mm. We don't have a lot of confidence in everything yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, we don't know it all. We can't fix it all. We can't be everywhere all the time we're not mm. god mm. um and so there is a lot of uncertainty uncertainty just because we are limited yeah um but this is one thing in life or yeah. one person in life yeah that we can have like absolute assurance yeah certainty it's like this idea of comfort oh there's mm. one thing in anything mm. out of everything that i can be sure of yeah i can know is true i can know is solid mm. that if everything else falls away and this is true um, and it's, he's wanting us to see that no, this is, it's about Jesus. Yeah. It's this person that I can have this solid hope yeah, for it's life so good. in. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really good. Now, at the end of each episode, we want to kind of leave people with a comfort or a challenge. Mm. And I think from this passage, there's actually both of those things. Yeah. The comfort is, as you're saying, in a world of uncertainty, we can have certainty of Jesus. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, he did come into the world. That there's something spiritual going on here. There's mm. angels. There's magi or wise men following yeah. stars. There's... Some, a virgin birth, it's all kind of this big thing, but we can have confidence in it. Mm. This is not just, we're not just singing about a fairy tale. We can be, we can have assurance that yeah. this is true and that this is real and this did happen. Yeah. I think there's a big comfort there, especially, yeah, in an uncertain world. But there's also a challenge in this as well, mm. because whenever we are confident in something that's so good or a gift, then naturally it flows into our lives in that we want to share that truth. Yeah, that's it's right. It's kind of, you know... It's uh, very nature of what Luke's doing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I've, I've discovered this and I want to tell everyone. Yeah. yeah. I want to know that... I want you to know that this mm. is true. I'm going to write this down so other people can know that as yeah. well. And, you know, I, I, I think about it at Christmas time. Like, whenever you get a good gift, yeah. I feel like maybe this is just me, but you want to share that with people. You want to yeah. tell people about that. You'll never guess what... You know, yeah. my wife got me or That's family right. member yeah. got me. Um, you know, mm. we, we love kind of doing that. Whenever you get something good, you want to share it. It's, it's kind mm. of 
in intrinsically missional when you know you've got something good. Yeah. And so I, I think that's the challenge here with what we get in Luke is actually that this flows into missional categories in our lives where we go, I can have confidence in this, certainty mm. in this, but I want other people to know this truth as well. Yeah, it's good. Absolutely. Now we're going to pray and then we're going to do something different as well. Yeah. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can have confidence in this account of Jesus. Thank you that we can find a comfort in an uncertain world um, where our, our country is, it's, we're in uncertain times. Um, our economy, uh, our lives, maybe our Christmas brings with it an uncertainty. Thank you that we can have certainty though, confidence in what Jesus has come to do. Thank you that this confidence isn't just in his birth, but it's in his life and his death and resurrection. Lord, we pray that this confidence would flow into our lives missionally. We pray that we would have so much confidence in the story of Jesus that we would push into telling everyone everywhere about this message. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Now, what we're going to do now is, uh, and this was organized last week, but I'm going to ask Simon and Rachel to come up the front. So Simon and Rachel, if you could come up the front, and if we could help, give us some encouragement to Simon and Rachel as well. And we're going to kind of push into this encouragement or, I guess, be encouraged by people who have put this mission into practice. So, hey guys, come and grab a seat. There's a mic too for you. Hello. So, Rachel, hello. G'day. Uh, can you, just a quick introduction. Um, Rachel, what do you do with yourself? What do you enjoy doing? What's Christmas look like? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Rachel, married to Simon. Um, we have a doggy at home, no kids. Um, we've been coming to this church for not too long, um, six or seven months, loving it here. Um, yeah, and this is Simon. Hey, Simon. Hi, Ben. What do you, what do, you do with yourself? Uh, so I uh, work at Boeing Defence Australia. Um, yes, I uh, am the manager for the uh, specialty engineering team. So my team uh, work across multiple defence platforms, like things from Super Hornet, uh, Classic Hornet, C-17s, things like that. So Cool. Yeah. I have no idea what you just said, but <laughs> it sounds really good, and I'm sure it is. Uh, but I haven't known what Hark has meant for 28 years, so it's all right. I'll continue to pretend that I'm interested. Um, Simon, we'll start with you, though. So we've got both of you up on the stage today because you both have been involved in different things over the year, and we want to be encouraged by that and hear kind of your journey. So, Simon, let's begin with you. This year, you went on a mission trip uh, somewhere. Tell us a little bit about something to do with that. You don't want to guess what it is again? Yeah, well, I guessed wrong before, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've got slide pack. Um, yeah, so I went to Iraq earlier in... Uh, well, it was in September, actually, and it's my second trip to Iraq. So for those of people who don't know where Iraq is, that's where it is, thanks to uh, Google Maps. Um, so right next to Syria and Turkey and Iran. Yeah. Um, oh, I can do this, can't I? Um, so the reason I went was to uh, work with the Yazidi people. Um, the Yazidi people were particularly persecuted uh, at the hands of ISIS um, in 2014. Um, so... They are a people group, um, but it's similar to like Judaism, where you know the the, the people group are their religion as well. So um, yeah, the Yazidi, they their religion is Yazidism. So they don't believe in um, uh, the same things that like uh, Muslims believe or anything like that. It's completely different. Um, they actually, if you trace back the, I guess the um, uh, where their story comes from, it comes from the same you know the, the Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity all the way back through that way. Um, but they don't, uh, obviously don't recognize Jesus and Muhammad and that sort of thing. So they actually uh, worship a peacock angel. Right. Um, yeah, and that's particularly why uh, they were persecuted at the hands of ISIS, because um, the way the peacock angel came to be a deity was uh, the same way that Muslims and, I guess, Christians to some extent, um, believe that Satan fell from heaven. So they, you know, Muslims believe that Yaz uh, Yazidis actually worship Satan. Right. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, they come from a place called Zinjar, which is right there at the top of Iraq. Um, and what happened in 2014 is ISIS came from uh, Mosul, so you can see Mosul there, and from Syria, and uh, converged on um, uh, Zinjar. So, in, in, uh, so it was uh, 3rd of October in 2014. Um, so, ISIS came and uh, 
they rounded up all of the men and killed them and uh, uh, took the children, like the, the boys, and uh, put them like through training camps and that sort of thing to, to radicalise them. And they sold the, the girls into slavery and they passed the girls on from militant to militant. The people who could escape uh, went to a place called Xinjiang Mountain and they were up there for a week with no food, no water, uh, 50 degree temperatures and a lot, a lot of people actually died on the mountain. And uh, a, a path was then cleared for them to get from Sinjar Mountain into, into Syria and then, I guess, go north, back up into Iraq and head into some refugee camps. So, I went to a place called Sharia, um, right there, so north of Mosul again, and that's in uh, Kurdish-controlled Iraq. Um, so there's... Uh, actually, I got a picture of... That's the refugee camp just outside of uh, Sharia. That refugee camp has 16,000 refugees in it, and it's one of 22 camps in that area. So it just gives you a scale of the magnitude of, of Yazidis that are actually um, displaced there. The people I actually worked with weren't in the refugee camps per se, they were outside the refugee camps. So if you're in the refugee camps, you get some support from the, the UN and that sort of thing. So they have a shower and a toilet and a tent. Life's still pretty average in, in the camp, but the people on the outside of the camp, they get nothing. So they're scratching together bits of tarp and sticks and that sort of thing to try and build their own tent. Um, I, I was actually fortunate enough to go with my parents. Um, haven't traveled with mum and dad since I was a teenager, so that was really interesting, but a really cool opportunity. <laughs> um, so the things I did, um, I'll just let these flick through. Um, so I took a bunch of tools over, um, and dad, myself, and there was another guy, Michael, for a period of the time that we were there. Um, we basically uh, did maintenance and things like that. So putting tarps on tents, uh, putting concrete on the floor inside the tent so they're, they're not sleeping in the dirt. Um, yeah, and I'll talk a, a, bit, a bit about the specifics of some of those uh, a little bit later. Um, yeah, so it, it was a really unique opportunity to be able to provide um, some support for these people because they get nothing. And especially the time frame in which I went, it was heading into winter. Uh, so winter brings with it lots of rain. So summer is extremely hot, like 50 degrees in the middle of the day. Um, whereas winter is completely opposite, it's below zero, um, and leading in up to winter, they receive a month of straight rain. So you can imagine if they're sleeping in dirt, and then it rains, it turns into mud, and that sort of thing. So, um, ooh, did that not work? No, we got the video. Oh, there's just some more photos. Me doing some concreting. Wheelbarrow. Me and Dad. Little boy. Um, so I want to talk about this family in particular. Um, so you can see the, the older couple there. They, um, they're living outside the camp, so we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, retarp their tent and, uh, and give them like a concrete floor, uh, so yeah, to, to keep them out of the mud for winter. Um, interesting story, um, the father there, and I have to caveat this, I had to pick and choose some of the stories I tell just because of the audience, and um, um, the stories like scale from the completely horrific, um, yeah, and uh, like all the way through. So um, I thought this one was sort of in the middle ground. Mm. Um, so he was actually captured by ISIS and, and tortured. Um, so they would uh, put guns next to his head and, and shoot them to try and make him deaf. And they would uh, like just constantly beat him up. Like he's actually got notes, like very few teeth. And um, when he was telling his story, he doesn't speak English. So there was a lot of, you know, charades and that sort of thing for him to be able to tell us his story. And... Um, as he's like reliving some of that, he actually had a seizure, and that's probably through a combination of the physical abuse he suffered and uh, and also reliving the trauma. Mm. Um, he and his wife and his daughter applied to come to Australia as refugees, and uh, his daughter and the wife were accepted to come here, um, but he was actually declined. But because he's a little bit um, um, mental, he uh, in in the interview he was basically saying how he wanted to get revenge on ISIS, which understandable but doesn't go down too well in, a, in an interview when you're talking about asylum and things like mm. that. Um, so he was declined. So he and his wife are still living there and they'll probably live the rest of their lives in this tent. The daughter um, actually made it over to Australia so that's a good news story there mm. but yeah, quite sad for the, for the older couple. Yeah. Um, this second family I want to highlight um, like another completely different story um, actually had a, a, a young boy who um, had severe mental and physical disabilities and the, the tent that they're living in uh, basically had no facilities for him. Um, like the wheelchair is basically as good as it's getting. That was donated by someone else. Um, so what we did is we built a new shower block for, for him. Um, so the mum has to basically pick him up and carry him around everywhere. And he's a bit of a chunky boy. 
Um, so, you know, he's only going to get bigger from here. So we built a shower block and uh, basically made it so it had a shelf in it so the mum could actually put him on the shelf to wash him and things like that. And I uh, had, like, all the proper drainage and um, all waterproofed inside with a hose on a, a... Sorry, with a shower and a hose, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, hopefully it was a, somewhat of a blessing to them. Yeah. Actually, here it is here. Um, if we can fast forward through the little boy... Um, yeah, so we left him a whole heap of, like, toiletry products and that sort of thing, too. But this is, I mean, it's something small, and it, it only took us, like, a few days to knock together. Um, but hopefully it's something which can, yeah, really impact their life. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's me. Um, yeah. I might pass back over to Rach now. No, I've no, talked I've got a, a few more questions for oh, you okay, before you sure. go. So, obviously, I mean, it sounds like building concrete floors is going to be super helpful for these people. Um, yeah, the rain's going to come in, muds, gets muddy and cold and stuff like that. So, obviously, it's a, a really handy thing to go with. Who did you... Were there people over there that you knew already? Um, so... Uh, God works in crazy ways. Um, I I've, over the last number of years, I've done uh, certain trips, um, mostly with like a, a building element to it, um, and it's it's really crazy how like one trip has led to a connection to go on to the next trip. Yeah. Um, but it, um, like I said, Bill, this is uh, I was being fortunate enough. This is my second trip to Iraq, so I went yeah. for a month last year and for a month this year. Um, last year, I actually got quite a few contacts. Um, one of those being a, a very small. Uh, NGO that works in Sharia, mm -hmm. um, so they were able to identify the the families that needed the most help. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that was the I guess the in to know you know who to who to look after and who to yeah. who, who to focus on that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I guess as far as the trip goes, it was uh, entirely self-funded. Um, like as far as airfares, accommodation, that sort of thing, with yeah. uh, fundraising and that to buy the materials. I know there's um, a few people in, in in church today who actually helped um, yeah, financially cool. for that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Awesome. And when you were saying to me beforehand that you're going to Iraq, like, it's pretty full on to go to somewhere like Iraq, and that was my reaction as well. Um, so why did you give up your time and holidays and, and kind of money? I mean, what was the drive for you to go over there? Uh, so I guess it, it, it's twofold, right? Um, in Australia, we're, like, really uniquely blessed. Um, this is by far the best country in the world. Um, and, like, just the, the resources we have, the security we have, um, the lifestyle that we have, it's just amazing how blessed we are as a country. And uh, so I guess that's one motivation for me. And, and the second motivation is, um, you know, in First in Peter, Jesus... Uh, sorry, um, it's sorry. In First Peter, it says that uh, you know we should be able to uh, talk about like the hope that we have yeah. and um, and and the faith that we have, and especially with the Yazidi because it's a uh, it's not only a identity, it's also their religion. Yeah. Um, it's particularly hard um, um, for for them to become Christian. Mm. Um, they actually have a, a saying, like it's a Yazidi saying that um, you know there's only one hairs breadth between a Christian and a Yazidi, um, and that's because of their, uh, I guess, their nature. Um, they have the same values and that yeah. sort of thing as us, but that one hair's breadth is something that I can tell them about, yeah. um, and that, that hair's breadth is Jesus. So, yeah. um, And actually, as a result of this last trip, um, uh, we've actually seen two people um, come to know Jesus wow. through that, um, Yeah, because obviously they want to know why we're doing what we're doing, yeah. and we just tell them why we're doing what yeah. we're doing. And yeah, it makes it makes it quite quite easy to start those conversations. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing to to pray for though is that the pe so those two people who are who are um, brand new Christians they are still living in Yazidi community with Yazidi families, and obviously the challenge for them is how do they reconcile um, being Yazidi and and also their newfound faith as well. Yeah, that's so encouraging uh, to hear that. Thanks for sharing that. It's interesting too. I was hearing I heard the other day that passage always be ready to give a, uh, an answer for the hope you have, that there's actually the reality that we're living such lives that people are asking us, what is the hope you have? What are you doing? Why would you go and do that? And I think that's encouraging uh, to, to hear that for you to go over to Iraq. It's a question, you know, that, that raises that. But I think for all of us that we're actually able to push into that as we live such good lives um, that people ask us, what's the hope you have? Why are you living differently? Uh, that's it. Let me pray for the Yazidi people and uh, for your work there and those two people uh, in particular. So let's pray together. 
Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, Simon and these opportunities uh, to go to this people and to help out in such a practical way. Uh, thank you, Lord, for um, the way that you've been preparing uh, this opportunity over the last few years and just kind of working in, in, in different ways in, in creating different contacts. We thank you, Lord, that he was able to go over to the Yazidi people and um, show them Christ's love. Lord, we pray for um, yeah these people. We pray that you would um, continue to show them grace. We pray that you would continue to shine a light in their darkness and that they would see Jesus and see the confidence that we can have in him and, and, and the hope that they can have beyond their present circumstances. Father, we want to pray particularly for these two people uh, who became Christians and put their trust in Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would walk with them, that you would sustain them and help them through this. And we pray for your grace in this too. Uh, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for sharing, Simon. Really appreciate it. All right, Rachel, hello. Hello. Uh, so tell us a bit, a, a little bit more about what, what you do with yourself mm. and your job and your work and how that's affected some opportunities sure. lately. I might just swap seats with you, Simon. Um, by error, I made a movie rather than a slideshow, yeah. which just means I have no control over um, the slideshow. <laughs> so I just met Paul up the back before, but I'm feeling confident that he can read my mind and know when yeah. to hit the pause button. Paul's the best at it. <laughs> um, so if you can just go back and pause it at the first <laughs> So off to a great start. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just have to use my laptop so I know what's coming up. Yeah. My, my error. Um, but yeah, I am a builder in Brisbane. Um, and just a really quick summary of my backstory. Um, when I was 17, I moved to uh, Brisbane to go to the Conservatorium of Music and actually did a degree in classical piano. My whole life, I was just obsessed with Chopin and Beethoven and um, really loved classical music. So I did a degree and then um, I ran a music school for 10 years and teaching classical piano. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, five years ago, um, Really out of nowhere, I can remember turning to Simon and saying, um, can you just pause it, please, sorry, Paul, <laughs> um, that I wanted to um, become a builder. And so I went back and um, studied and um, got my qualifications and my um, building experience to then go and apply to get my builder's license. So um, I've been doing that for the last five years and I just think it's an amazing um, God story um, because, yeah, I've just been running this business. I had no uh, experience or no contacts, no family members in the construction industry, but um, God has really had his hand on this for sure, mm. that I haven't gone bust yet because <laughs> yeah. it's pretty easy. Um, in Brisbane, the stats are that 85% of builders go bust in the first few years. So, wow. um, yeah, I, so I just, you know, all, all glory to God that I've been able to run this business. Um, but just, uh, yeah, so you can see kind of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I will buy a house like that and then um, renovate it and sell it. <coughs> um, so that's the same house there. Often people can't quite work out how that's the same house. So if yeah. you can just quickly hit um, play. Um, so the top level there we've is the um, original house. You can see the, the three gables. So we raised it. And then, um, then yeah, so I've got some awesome carpenters that work for me. They're, that's at the framing stage, um, nearing completion there. And, um, yeah, then when it was finished, that's the finished product. Yeah, it was just uh, purchased by, um, yeah, a Brisbane Lions player um, at the beginning of this year, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, this is one of the first families I built a home for. Um, so we deal, do new builds. And, um, and renovations, both. So this one was just a little um, uh, cosmetic reno, if you can just pause, sorry, Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, for a client that was wanting just to increase their rental yield. And this one, um, similar story, it's the same house, I promise we just added the gables on the front and added the front veranda. Um, and so that's kind of what I, what I do for a living. And um, yeah, but wanting to be able to use my skills, I guess, not just to build um, lovely homes for people in Brisbane, but mm. to use my skills um, for people that um, don't have homes even yeah. or who are struggling. Um, you can keep playing. <coughs> and if you can just hold this for a sec. Sorry. Um, that's one of the first ones I did. 
But anyway, so um, Simon's trip to, if you can pause that there, um, to Iraq was fully independent, but we do do these sorts of trips. We both just decided a few years ago that we proactively wanted to seek out these opportunities to do this. And so um, Simon went to Iraq in September and then a couple of weeks later, after he got home, um, I got a phone call from the Samaritan's Purse to see if I could be um, in the Bahamas in three days' time right. um, to help with Hurricane Dorian. Um, and so a couple of years ago, Simon and I travelled to Sydney to um, do some disaster relief training, how to respond in um, a disaster situation. And after we completed that training, we were then um, on the deployment list to be deployed whenever there's a, uh, a natural or a man-made disaster. Um, so, yeah, so that's how we got involved in the Samaritan's Purse. You've probably heard of Samaritan's Purse through the shoebox appeal, but they also do, um, yeah, disaster relief as well. Hmm. Um, and so I went to the Bahamas, which I didn't even know where it was. I had to look it up, <laughs> but it's between um, North and South America there. And um, it consists of about 700 tiny little islands. And I went to um, this little island called Abaco right there. Um, and I spent three weeks there. I just got home a couple of weeks ago, and um, that's what the Bahamas normally looks like, but a few months ago, there was this massive uh, oh. hurricane, Hurricane Dorian, and when I arrived, this is just some footage that I took on my phone. Keeping in mind, this is three months after the hurricane had gone through as well, so it's still pretty bad. Um, the government hasn't really... Uh, been too involved in the repair yet, oddly, so it's up to NGOs like Samaritan's Purse to come in and um, be involved. Um, there's some of the other team from Samaritan's Purse. <coughs> and you'll notice that some houses are still intact, whereas other houses are completely wiped out. And that's because after the hurricane, there were also a bunch of tornadoes that came through as well. So if the hurricane didn't knock down a house, then the tornadoes that would come through afterwards would, would knock out your neighbour's house, but your house might still be intact. So that's why it's this odd scenery of mm. houses still okay next to nothingness. So anyway, this is what my job was. They gave me a big truck, they threw me the keys to a big truck, and I basically drove around and I was doing, um, first part of my job was to do house assessments. So I would go and... Um, uh, I would have a list of people. These people um, had, if you can just pause it there, had a, a filled out a form um, and to get a house assessment, which they then sent to the government office. The government office would send it to Samaritan's Purse and then it was my job to go around um, and knocking on doors and meeting these homeowners. And so um, I was clearly told that we were to prioritise helping the elderly or helping um, single mums. So this was, you know, those most vulnerable. So often there'll be an old lady camping in a tent at the back of her, mm. you know, destroyed house. Um, so a difficult part was having to go to houses where I could see that the, um, the homeowner was maybe a young, fit male. He might have had some immediate family still there around him. His house wasn't too bad. Um, and just by talking to him, I could tell that he had some, you know, resources and was able to do some things. And so I would have to make that decision mm. as to who we could help and who we couldn't. And obviously we want to help everyone. But if, I help, if we help this one gentleman, then an, an old lady will suffer. So um, that was probably the hardest part about the job. Um, because he still lost everything as well, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, keep going. Thank you, Paul. So this one, um, this is just one example. Uh, this, her name is Sylvia, if you can just pause it. Thanks, Paul. Um, she was uh, 80 and blind in one eye, a widow, and um, her house was her pride and joy. And she was um, really um, hardly, uh, really devastated by the hurricane. So I went in and um, did an assessment on her home. And um, this is what it looked like when I first walked in. If you can go ahead. I think there is audio as well. So anyway, it's just pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> so another part of my job was then to hire people 
if you can pause that, um, to come in and so I would run the crews that would come in and do the repairs. So these are actually um, all women because I kind of realised that it wasn't necessarily high carpentry skills that we required at this stage, right? Mm. It was um, what's called a muck and gut, which is coming in and taking out everything, removing all of the mould and mildew, chiprock, and sort of starting the clean up. So um, we hired a bunch of Haitian women. There was a hurricane in Haiti a little while ago as well, so there's heaps of refugees from Haiti living there. Mm. So this is just one, one crew. I was running a couple of crews. And, um, yeah, so... Um, I would just be going around from house to house managing the um, work scope. And they were awesome, really, really hard working. And so this house took maybe a day and a half to get uh, cleaned up. Every now and then there was a small amount of carpentry and I would just show the girls how to do it and it was awesome. Um, and yeah, so I also had an opportunity just to pray with the team every morning before we started and mm. every afternoon when we finished. Um, the, the Bahamas is a Christian nation, um, but um, whether or not that means that they have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, mm. I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure, but it was a really great opportunity to get to know um, the crew, spend time with them and pray with them and um, really reinforce the gospel, yeah. which is something I didn't expect to have the opportunity to do, but... Um, because they can talk about God and that God was a great comfort for them during the hurricane, but can't clearly articulate uh, the gospel, which I think, mm. you know, is our responsibility as Christians. We should really know how to clearly articulate it. Yeah. Um, you can keep playing. <laughs> so just great just to build friendships with the crew. Um, you know, I was only... Um, and also I was in, in charge of doing all their timesheets and paying them each week as well, which is a bit of a responsibility, I guess similar to what I do here at home. Uh, and just there, if you can see that jug and the plate there on the table, um, Sylvia said that I could take that and um, as a memento to remember her and the, my time in the Bahamas. Um, so I brought it all the way back to... Um, So I'm in contact with them all on Facebook and we actually message each other nearly every day, myself and all of the homeowners, and it's just so, so lovely to still be in contact with them. Mm. Um, and just really quickly, another thing that I was doing was working alongside the tarping team as well. So Samaritan's Purse scope in the time that I was there was doing the muck and guts as well as the tarping. And we did some, yeah, some airdrops as well, delivering food and hygiene kits.
And then this is saying goodbye to the team on the last day. So that's kind of a summary of what I got up to over there. Yeah, awesome. Uh, sounds like a crazy... How long were you there for? Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. Uh, so have you guys seen each other much this year? Or? <laughs> <laughs> um, so three weeks, though. Tell us why, you know, Simon just gets back from Iraq. Mm. Um, the majority of people would want to just go, let's just spend some time with each other, you know, get to know each other again, you know, reconnect and all that sort of stuff. So why would you want to spend your time going overseas uh, spending your time, money, holidays uh, to do something like this? Yeah, I guess um, we do believe it's God's calling over our life to do this together. We both separately have this desire to do this kind of thing and to use our time and um, resources and skill and money in this way. Yeah. We don't have kids, so we're able to do it. I think having children makes you pretty um, selfless and sacrificial, right? So we don't have that um, in our lives, and so I certainly pray to have a selfless heart, although I still think I'm pretty selfish, but yeah. um, this is just one way that we can, uh, yeah, to help people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also, you know, it's so easy just to, like, wake up, go to work, go home, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, go home, and just go through the motions and um, so, and just sort of sleepwalk through life, and then a whole lifetime can pass you by and you mm. realise you haven't um, done the things that you said that you're going to do. So, yeah. I guess we've just tried to be really, really proactive in seeking out these opportunities to do yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. it's so encouraging to hear both of you, but, um, yeah, you're right to use your gifts, the skills that you've got to actually go, yeah, I want to use this in a way that, um, yeah, people can see Jesus through what I'm doing. Um, mm. Yeah, because I know not all of us could go and build houses for people, um, but we all do have gifts in other areas as well. Uh, can you tell us just one final, uh, did you get a chance to speak about Jesus? I mean, you talk about it a little bit with the people around you, but how did that go and what was your interaction with people as you talked to them about Jesus and the good news we have? Yeah, um, like I said before, yeah, that was kind of uh, an unexpected opportunity to be able to do that. Also, we go to a home group that's not associated with this church. It's part of our old church, so I hope we're still allowed to come here, even though yeah. we go to a home group yeah. that's not part of this church. And the, the, the home group leader there actually asked me to go around and speak to people, just general the general public, um, about the gospel. And um, so I've got hours of footage on my phone of just asking people if they could articulate um, the gospel and yeah. just to spend some time um, going over that. And like I said, they were able to say that God was a great comfort yeah. and um, helped in the hurricane. But I really had to push and probe to get to the, um, the actual details of the gospel. Yeah. And the gospel is just the best story, the most yeah. amazing thing, right? And um, yeah, so just being able to talk to them about how we were, we are by default, we're separated from God, mm. we're destined for um, death and uh, a life forever separated from God in hell, um, and that there's absolutely nothing we can do about that. Mm. <laughs> That's the big problem. But then um, Jesus um, is the solution to that, and yeah. That, um, yeah, Jesus died on the cross to bear the punishment that we were meant to bear, yeah. and if we put our um, trust in Him, then we now have hope of eternal life. Yeah. So um, that's the delight of my heart, the yeah. story of the gospel. And so being able to share that with people over there was probably, yeah, the biggest biggest highlight. That's awesome. Hey, let me pray uh, for that, uh, the people in the Bahamas as well, and then we're going to sing together again. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for yeah, Rachel's work in the Bahamas. Thank you for the opportunity to go and use her gifts in a way that people can see 
um, yeah, the truth of Jesus and the reminder of um, the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence that both Simon and Rachel have and the way that that's playing out um, missionally uh, yeah, around the world, but with also people here in Brisbane. We pray, Lord, for us here at Southside that we too would have a heart driven by the truth that we know um, to tell everyone everywhere about the message of Jesus. We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Thanks heaps, guys. I appreciate it.